The scripture reading this morning is in Exodus 31. If you would stand, and we'll read this together. Exodus 31, it's on page 84 of the Black Pew Bible. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in front of you. The Lord said to Moses, See how I have called by name Bezalel of Uri, a son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamech, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place." According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off among his people." Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, and when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. About 26 years ago, I bought some land where my house now stands. I was asking people in the church. I'd graduated, was looking to kind of settle, and was talking to Brother Ronald. I was like, man, I'm looking for a, a place to buy some land. I want to build a house. And he said, well... Mr. Thurston is selling a few lots here of his pasture, and so I went and I bought that land across the street from them, and I can say I have the sweetest neighbors anybody could ever have, and I love living there, but I remember I I bought that land, and I drew up a sketch of the house that I wanted. You know, I was a bachelor. I was 20 two years old, I don't know, 22, 21, 22 years old. But I had in my mind what kind of house I'd like to have, and so I I drew it out and uh, roughly. And then um, my sister, Christy, she drew the house plans for me. Now, I had the design in my head, and she had the skill of drawing the plans to scale, but neither of us had the ability to build a house. And so we're in Chapter 24. Uh, 31, we've been looking from chapter 25 through 31. Moses has been educated as how the Lord wanted the tabernacle built, how it should be furnished. But Moses wasn't a carpenter nor a craftsman. 
Moses would have been a great MMA fighter, if you remember him taking care of the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew slave. He put him in the dirt with his bare hands. He would have been a great sheep-showing coach as he had many decades of experience taking care of sheep and sheep husbandry skills. But all he could do is deliver the plans God had and watch whom God chose to do the actual building, constructing of the tabernacle. So we're going to see in our text today, God chose some craftsmen to oversee the building of this tabernacle, and God's going to fill them with his spirit so they can build it to his specifications. Secondly, the second truth we're going to see in our text is the Lord wants the Israelites to understand that even though the building of the tabernacle is important, and they're going to get to work on it, we're going to see in chapter 35, they're going to get to work on this tabernacle. That's really, really important, but there's no work going to be done on the Sabbath. Even though the tabernacle is really important, the Sabbath is more important. The Sabbath will be kept since it's the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. So that's where we're going. Points come right from the text. The first point from verses 1 through 11 is a good builder is chosen, equipped to build a good house. So we've seen the materials being used for the tabernacle. And, and remember, what's the purpose of the tabernacle? We, we can't lose sight of that fact. Maybe it would be good to review where we've come from. The Israelites were in Egypt in bondage. God used Moses to rescue the Israelites. They traveled went to towards the promised land, and that's where they're headed. They're on a journey to receive the land God is going to give them, but they stopped at Mount Sinai where they're receiving the law. They'll be there some 11 months. God is wanting once again to dwell with his people. Since Adam and Eve sinned, they rebelled in the garden. God's been distant from his people. But God is wanting to draw near to them. He's wanting them to draw near to him, and so he's commanding them to build a tabernacle that's going to be his dwelling place. So just as the best materials were used in the construction of this mobile tabernacle, the best carpenters, the best craftsmen were needed to put it together. And God is not only going to choose good craftsmen, but he's going to equip them to be able to do the work that he wants them to do. Bezalel was a Judahite. He was a grandson of Hur, and possibly this is the same Hur that you remember in, in um, the battle with the Amalekites that helped hold Moses' arms up so they could defeat the Amalekites, possibly the same man. Aholiab was from the tribe of Dan. And it's interesting, only those of the tribe of Levi could enter the, the tabernacle. And only those from the, the tribe of Levi could carry it. They would break it down and carry it. And certain clans were responsible for certain parts of the tabernacle. But it's interesting, he chose someone from the tribe of Judah, someone from the tribe of Dan, to oversee the building of this, of this uh, dwelling place of God. And they oversaw the work. It wasn't just them working. They had a crew with them. But they were what you might call the anointed straw bosses of the bunch. And these men, they already had skills. They 
They didn't do something totally new. This is something they had been doing. They had been training and, and being trained in building things. But it, the scripture says that God filled them with the Holy Spirit, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. I've heard that, I don't know where I got this from, but I saw it in my notes. I've heard it said that by the reception of God's Spirit, their natural faculties became heavenly deposits. See, these aren't additional qualities that went along with the Spirit. God gave one thing. He gave himself, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And what did the Holy Spirit do? It sanctified their abilities, their intelligence, their knowledge, their craftsmanship. And sometimes what we see in Scripture is, is, is God may do something supernatural and totally beyond a person's normal ability, but more often than not, he perfects an existing God-giving skill or God-given uh, gift as we see here. So we see the Spirit refining this, these men's ability, their intelligence, their knowledge, their craftsmanship, and they repurpose these skills for God's glory. It was, it was these two men and the crew that they had to work for. God filled them with the Spirit. And we see this happen in, elsewhere in Scripture where men were filled with the Holy Spirit. Some may come to your mind. Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Speaking of Joseph. What about Joshua? Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And some of, sometimes we have the idea that when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, they do what, kind of like they have an incredible Hulk experience. They kind of become something that they're not. And maybe it's because of the sign gifts that we see in the New Testament during the apostolic age. Right when, when Jesus walked the earth and the apostles walked the earth, there's a lot of sign gifts um, taking place. Maybe that's why we think that, but th these craftsmen, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and what, uh, what occurred is it, they were able to do their job better. We think about David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Saul was the first king of Israel, but he, he didn't... He didn't last long because God, remember, withdrew his spirit from Saul because of his disobedience. The spirit had left Saul. And remember, he was tormented by the evil spirit. And what do they do? They, they found someone who could play the lyre, the harp. Someone said, oh, I know someone who plays it well. So David, he came and he played for Saul during the time where this spirit this evil spirit tormented him, and it brought comfort to, to Saul. So, so what happened here is David was a child, and he practiced playing the lyre, like some of you are playing guitar or mandolin or the trumpet, and he practiced frequently. But what happened when the, he was filled with the spirit, he was able to play it better and for God's glory. So it wasn't like David never played the lyre, and all of a sudden he starts playing, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he can play the lyre all of a sudden. Could happen. God could do that. But that's not what we typically see happen. The Lord fills someone with the Spirit. It helps them refine their skill and repurpose them to do God's work. 
In the Old Testament, people are filled with the Spirit to do something or to say something God wanted them to say. So what does that mean for us? We're New Testament Christians. We live under the New Covenant. Well, think about in the New Testament, every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, we're all, as we repent and trust Christ, what happens? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit. The prophet Ezekiel told us that, didn't he? In, in, in Ezekiel 36, 27, so it tells us that God's going to remove the heart of stone and give us, those who trust him, a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. This is talking about the, the new covenant. This is the promise of what's to come. Ezekiel is looking forward to a day. He's a prophet. This is what's going to happen. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So in the New Testament, we're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and we're, we're gifted. We're given gifts, spiritual gifts. We see this in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We see it in Romans chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, the, these uh, list of spiritual gifts are listed also in Romans chapter 12. We see in verse 6, um, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and it goes on to list all these spiritual gifts. We have spiritual gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 10, 11, as each has received a gift, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's interesting you see this spirits being given to, the, to believers and all of a sudden, God's glory is mentioned because that's the purpose of it, right? So we, we see these lists of spiritual gifts in, in the New Testament, three different places, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, I already mentioned, and Ephesians 4, there's several as well. And I don't know that these spiritual gifts, if this is an exhaustive list, I don't really think it is. Some people think so. I don't really think it is. But there are a list of gifts given. And here we see all Christians, those who are believers, are gifted for service. We have the Holy Spirit, we're sealed, and we, we have giftings to serve whom? To serve the Lord and to serve the church. And we're to use our spiritual gifts. You, you've heard the phrase, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Do you believe that? Yeah, I don't believe it in regard to spiritual gifts, but I believe that happens. It's like language, right? I came home, all my kids, they spoke fluent. They're all fluent in Mandarin. See, my son don't understand, right? I called his name, and he ignored me. And he didn't understand what I just said, right? And he was fluent. When we came home, he's five years old, that joker could talk all day long. Mandarin. Yeah. But he doesn't use it, he loses it. I don't think we lose our spiritual gifts. I think we're gifted. I don't think we lose our spiritual gifts. But we hear that term. But what do we do when we don't use our gifts? It's a waste. It's a waste. We squander it. 
to the detriment of the church. It's interesting. We I, I, and I have I just thought of, you know reading these texts. I just thought about how the, the Spirit gives us gifts. We're we're gifted. We have spiritual gifts, and how that's tied to God's glory. Because Miss Patsy, when we use our gifts. The church is edified. You read that in Ephesians 4. We don't have time to look at all these texts, but small group leaders, you can have a heyday with this. As we use our gifts together, living hand in hand, arm in arm, living life together, and we use our gifts, what happens? Marty, we mature and we grow. We become mature Christians. And God is glorified. God looks good. His fame is spread throughout the world. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, there, there's a diversity of gifts, and it celebrates this diversity. First Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and when we think about gifts, again, we think of the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts that there was, there was, um, that was often seen in the time of the New Testament church. We, we also, when we think about gifts, we think about teachers, preachers, people in front of people, teaching and preaching. That's what we think of when we think of spiritual gifts. And we often say things like, well, you know, I'm not gifted like so-and-so. I'm not gifted like this person. There's not really much I can do for the church. We hear that. I hear that all the time. But there's plenty that can be done. We all have different gifts. Maybe you're not gifted in leadership. Maybe you're not gifted in teaching. But you're gifted. And God wants you to use your gifts. That's what we see with these, these men, these, these carpenters, these craftsmen. God fills them with the Holy Spirit, empowers them to do what he wants them to do, or empowers them to say what he wants them to say. And here in the New Covenant, we're also sealed with the Holy Spirit, every one of us, right? And every one of us are gifted, given gifts to work for his purposes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Real quickly, verse 21, 23. It's talking about the different, we all have different gifts. And Paul likens it to the body. Different parts, right? Have different functions. Our body parts have different functions. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There's some parts that seem like they're not quite as important as the other. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. What Paul is trying to do here is trying to, we all have gifts and we all use our gifts. And there's not any that's more important than the other. And he likes the body parts. And just think about it. My, I'm gifted in leadership. That's one thing I'm pretty confident of. No matter what I've ever done, I'm put in charge of something. If I'm working at a church or I'm working at a restaurant or I'm working at a job, given responsibilities, overseeing people, administration, leadership, that's what, I, that's what I'm gifted in. I teach. I think I may have the gift of teaching. But you know what? If today I resign, I'm gone, you never see me again, in a month, you know what will happen? You'll have you another preacher. And that joker's going to be better than me. 
lead better, teach better, you have another pastor. You know what's hard to replace? The girl that gets here at 7.30 to upload all the stuff that you see on ProPresenter. That guy's hard to replace. Or the guy that gets a bonus, end-of-year bonus, and so he drops a check off by the church. That's hard to replace. When you think about your body, you lose an eye, you could do okay. You could live, right? You lose your hair. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be all right. I'm not going to have to pay for poo cut my hair no more. <laughs> and I don't mind her paying. She, she, would, she did it for free for years, right? You can, your hair, the things that you see, you can do without that. about a pancreas? You want to do without your pancreas for a day or so? can't do without you. You never see your pancreas. It's behind the scenes, isn't it? Can't do without that. Sweet lady that the Lord used in our lives in Louisville. She got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. 30 days to the day she was diagnosed, they were burying her. Can't do without your pancreas, can you? So what's my point? My point here, we're just like these Old Testament saints, they're given the Holy Spirit for a specific job. We see it scattered throughout the Old Testament, these people, the Spirit being poured out upon them to accomplish something for the Lord. We, under the New Covenant, we have the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and then we're all given gifts to be used for the Lord, for His glory. How are you serving? What are your gifts? And, and, and there's a lot of talk about spiritual gifts and how do you figure that out? I think you figure that out by just doing them. And the reason I say that is because when we were in China, my team, I'm the only extrovert on our whole team. And all we did all the time was share the gospel because we're in a place people's never heard the gospel. So we're doing what's called wide seed scattering. We're just trying to share the gospel with many people as we can. Because everybody we share the gospel with, it's the first time they ever heard it, whether they're 80 years old or 8 years old. So we're sharing the gospel. So we do this training, and they do this spiritual gift inventory thing. And guess what? Every one of ours spiritual gift was, according to the inventory, evangelism. And there's not one of us on the team that would say, that's our spiritual gift. That's not something we're really good at. That's not something we see God have his hand in our lives, using us in that way repeatedly, time and time again. But because that's just what was our job and what we did day in, day out, that was just high on our radar, right? So I don't really take a lot of, I don't give a lot of credence to those things. How do we figure out what our spiritual gift is? You just serve and do. God gives you a spiritual gift. That doesn't mean you're going to be doing something that you normally wouldn't do. I think it, what's our, what are you good at? What do you like to do? Most likely your gifting is going to be something around that. But how do we know? We just do it. We just, we just do. We just serve. We just help. And we jump in when there's a need. Right? Yeah. Second point. Verse 12 through 17. 
The Sabbath was the sign of the covenant. Now, this may come to a surprise to you, surprise to, to you um, and it should probably, because when we think about the, the law, what do you think of? When you think of the law, you know what pops in my mind? The, the, the two stone tablets. And we'll get to that in verse 18. But he says in verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. What's, what's another way of saying above all? Most importantly, yeah, what's most important? Above all, most importantly, right? They're to keep the Sabbath. And, and some may think it's strange to have the fourth commandment revisited here. I mean, he's talking about the instructions of the putting the tabernacle together, how to build it, how to furnish it. Why is the, the mention of the Sabbath put here? Well, again, the construction of the tabernacle is really, really important, but it's not so important that they should break the Sabbath to get it done. No, the Sabbath will be observed even amidst the building of the tabernacle. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the day of rest. We've looked at this from chapter 20. It's the fourth commandment, right? Right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's a day of rest. On the seventh day, God rested. The picture is of one who's laboring, right? And they stop to catch their breath. Right? Morgan's playing basketball. He and John. It'd probably be better to use John in this deal. All right, John, you're playing basketball, right? Thursday nights and you're running up and down the court. And after a while, what do you do? Big rascal starts doing this right here. Trying to get his breath. He puts his hands up like it's right here behind his head. Trying to get, get some oxygen in them lungs. How old are you, John? Forty. Forty, really? You're running up and down the court with them boys. That's awesome. I got more respect for you, brother. You know, he's, he's putting his hands up here so he can get some eye. He's just trying to catch his breath. That's kind of the picture of the Sabbath. Now, does the Lord need to do that? Sorry if I embarrass you. Your face is red, brother. <laughs> Don't look at him, y'all. Don't look at him. It's a day of rest. Now, God, does God, is God get tired? Isaiah 40, no. He doesn't get tired, but it's helping us understand what the Sabbath is. What's the Sabbath? It's a day of rest. A day we don't work because we need rest? Yeah, sure. I think we do need rest. We've already talked about this, right? How, the, how Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath and our rest is in Christ. But on this day, they're to do something that no other people, no other nation would ever dream of doing. Aiden, they didn't go to the fields. They didn't go to the fields. They didn't tend the sheep. They didn't pick up the sickle. They didn't pick up the hoe. They didn't pick up the hammer. And by doing so, they trusted that the Lord's going to take care of them. We're going to work six days, not seven. And we're going to trust and what, God, what did God do? He took care of them and met their needs. So the, the, the Sabbath is not so much about rest as it is about faith, it's about trust. It's an agrarian society. We're not going to work. We're going to rest on this day, and they're going to work. We'll talk about that in a second. They're going to worship, but the Lord is going to take care of them, going to meet their needs. So the sign of the covenant is 
rest and worship on the Sabbath to show the world that God is trustworthy to meet their needs. So this is the man. How do we know this is important? Well, look at verse 14. You should keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Not only are they to be put to death, but to be cut off. You know, man, if you're put to death, that's pretty much cut off, isn't it? But it's a, it's, a, it's a banishment, right? You're no longer one of us. So this is really, really important because you know who, who's banished, who's put to death, and who's banished. People who sacrifice their children to the fire. Yeah, the only two times you see these two punishments put together. Break the Sabbath, offer your children to a false god. Yeah. It's also the most cited command in all the, all the Ten Commandments. Matthew Henry said that the command to keep the Sabbath is the hem and the hedge of the entire Mosaic Covenant. So it's a day of rest, but it's also a day of worship. Uh, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3 Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. It is a holy convocation. We don't know what worship entailed exactly. We're not told. But, but there's some worship going on as far as um, the tabernacle is concerned. So you have the Sabbath and the tabernacle. They go together. Just like Sabbath and priest or Sabbath and sacrifice, Sabbath and prayer the Sabbath and the tabernacle. So week in and week out, the rest, worship on the Sabbath reminded the nation of God's care for them, and they reminded the world of God's care for them as they were set apart as God's chosen people. Verse 18, the last thing, the tablets God had written on were given to Moses. Now what was written on the tablets? It wasn't the entire law, most likely it's the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. When we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments, but we need to think about the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was the sign of the covenant. So what do we do with this? What's the application for us as believers? Lincoln Duncan, uh, he, he writes, we look at ourselves and we look at the church and sometimes we wonder this thing really is going to be able to resist the prevailing gates of hell. And we often feel like the Lord is having to do more work in us rather than through us. But God is going to build his tabernacle. He calls the people to build it. He chooses the people to build it. He equips the people to build it. He draws near to them in his tabernacle. And he does the same with his new covenant people. He calls the people. He chooses the people. He equips the people. He draws near to the people who become his living temple, the tabernacle. Bezalel could not build the tabernacle alone, and Jesus Christ, he uses 
us, every soul whom he's ever redeemed, to do his work in building up the church. So what is your role? Again, what is your gifting? Probably your gifting will probably be indicated by your, your natural aptitudes, what you like to do, what you do well. But if you don't know what your giftings are, I would say do something. If you want to be a part of the church, part of our membership protocol, we talk about what are you going to do? And by then, it's such a slow process, you're usually doing something by then. But do something. There's something to be done. There's a playground to be put together. There's children to be cared for. There's Wi-Fi problems to be solved. There's always something to do. Let's be about it. Let's do it. For the betterment of the church and for his glory. I want to ask our small group leaders to ask that pointed question. What's your gifting? And what are you doing? Leads us into the Lord's Supper. It's the first Sunday of the month. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Verse 18 talks about the tablets being given to Moses. He brings it down to the nation. And what is it on that tablet of stone is those ten words. And it's such a lofty standard, Emma. It's such a standard. We can't attain it. We can't attain it. We fail miserably, and it shows us that we're sinners. And that's what the tabernacle has been trying to teach us. It's what it taught the nation of Israel. Think about everywhere you look, atonement had to be made. It had to be, everything had to be sprinkled in blood of a sacrifice. What does that do? And it's screaming to them, you need a savior. You need to be forgiven. You're needy. We're here needy. We're needy people. And we all need forgiveness. We need atonement to be made for our sin. We live our lives like this. Right? We want it our way. We want to do it our way. And God said, no, we're going to do it my way. And how do you approach me? The old covenant, the tabernacle, they came into the courtyard, sacrifice to be made. Labor to wash our hands. Everything sprinkled with the blood of sacrifice. Atonement, atonement, atonement. But we have a once for all sacrifice. King Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 2,000 years ago, he walked this earth he was perfect. He was like a blemished lamb, unblemished lamb, excuse me. He kept the law completely, and he gave up his life. He died a terrible death. Physically, but the worst part about it is the Father poured out his wrath upon him for sinners. He died. He rose on the third day. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Jesus Sermons, his teaching can be summed up in three words.
and believe. Turn from your sin and trust his work on the cross for you. Have you done that today? If you've done that, we invite you to eat with us. We're fixing to take a meal. We've got this cup, and the top of it is a piece of bread. It represents the body of Jesus, and this juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, before he was resurrected, before he was put on a cross, he had a meal with his disciples. And we'll read that for you, Matthew chapter 26. He had a meal, and he told his disciples to continue to, to take this meal, have this meal together until he comes back. And this meal is a memorial, a time for us to sit and to be still and to reflect and to give thanks for what he's done for us. And if you've repented and believed, we'll invite you to take this with us. If you've yet to repent and believe, we'll ask you not to take it. But if you're a Christian, you're following Christ, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. Take that top part off. You can get that wafer there representing the body of Christ. And we'll eat this all together after I read the text. Now as they were eating, Matthew 26, verse 26, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Let's give thanks for the body that was broken for us and we'll eat it, remembering his body together. Father, we thank you for Christ. We recognize our need for forgiveness. We need a sacrifice. We need help. We're so thankful for Jesus and his sacrifice for us. We're thankful for how you've called us out of darkness. You brought us in the kingdom of your son. And that was made possible because of Jesus' body broken for us. His body that was put on a cross. And we're thankful for that sacrifice. You've been good to us in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's eat this together. Remembering it's Jesus' body. Remember Jesus' body was broken for us. And we're being thankful for that sacrifice. Pull that next layer back and verse 27 and Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to him saying drink it all of you for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins let's thank the Lord for the blood that was poured out for us father we we thank you for Jesus' blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And we see all those broken sacrifices, all those broken lambs whose blood was shed in the Old Covenant. And we know those are just pointing us towards Christ and how they continually gave those sacrifices over and, and made sacrifices for their sin. 
Father, we're thankful that Jesus shed his blood once for all for us. We're thankful for that. We know that it's only through the precious blood of Jesus we can be forgiven, and we're thankful. What a precious gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink it together, remembering Jesus' blood for us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up. We're going to sing a song of benediction. If you're here and you couldn't take the Lord's Supper, but you'd like to, um, I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're a child and you've repented and trusted Christ, but you've yet to be baptized. You think, well, I'm, I'm tired of sitting here not taking the Lord's Supper when I, I know the Lord, I've trusted Him. I want to be able to take the Lord's Supper and obedience to Christ. And so I want to ask you to, you let me know that before you leave today, and we'll start that process. But we're going to sing one song. It's a communion song. It's about what we've just done. And this will be our benediction. Won't you stand with us and we'll sing. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.